0: have really been enjoying with you getting into this series on the five solas, these slogans or sayings that come from the Reformation and very important time in church history. And I know those are harder to read down there, so let me give you this slide right here with the five of them. There they are. So we, we started out the first week doing sola scriptura, scripture alone. And Pastor Jared did a great job with sola fide, faith alone. Last week, we conquered sola gratia, grace alone. Today, we're going to get into solus Christus. And right away, you're like, hey, time out. thought we were doing solus. What's with that? It's Latin. Give it up, All right. So it's solus, right? It's just how they do it. So solus Christus, and that's Christ alone. And then next week, we'll end with soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. Wonderful to be peeling into these with you. Really, if you remember, about 500 years ago, the, Christ, the church had gotten off track, and, and so that became, after the split of the Protestant Reformation, that became what we know today as Catholicism. And what they were teaching, it was kind of like the plus religion, right? So uh, it's not that they don't believe in Christ. Of course they believe in Christ, but it's not Christ alone, it's Christ Plus, it's Christ plus other mediators. Christ plus Mary, plus the saints, plus priests, plus the Pope. We, of course, believe in alone. Christ alone, not plus. And so if you say, can we add to it? I say, nope, just Christ Jesus. Nope, just Christ Jesus. And of course, once I started doing that in my mind, I was reminded of this internet sensation from about 8 to 10 years ago of a taxidermist out in California who did a commercial. Maybe you'll remember this. Watch this. You probably thought this deer was alive and this coyote was alive and this pheasant was alive. Nope, they're not. They're dead. They've been taxidermized by Chuck Testa. Ohio Valley Taxidermy. I specialize in the most like-like dead animals anywhere. Period. <laughs> Look at that antelope driving a car. Nope. It's just Chuck Testa. Oh no, there's a bear in my bed. Nope. Chuck Testa. Hold on a second. There's a leopard feeding on an impala out on my deck. Nope. It's just Chuck Testa with another realistic mount. Shipped to me from anywhere. Call Chuck Testa for the most lifelike dead animals around, period. Did that rhino just order a drink? Nope. Chuck Testa does not taxidermize (laughs) pet. Good to know. Did you catch it at the end? The rhino makes a noise. It's an elephant noise. Did you catch that? Oh, the best low-budget commercial ever. Absolutely ever. simply fantastic. And, uh, and, and over and over, is it this? Nope, just Chuck and Chuck Testa. Over and over, right? And, and that came to mind because that's what's going to happen. Like, can't it be Jesus plus Mary? Nope, just Christ Jesus. Well, can't it be uh, Jesus plus saints? Nope, just Christ Jesus. What about, what about Jesus plus priests? Nope, just Christ Jesus. Well, what about, can it be Jesus plus the Pope? Nope, just chuck test no, no, just <laughs> <laughs> just Christ Jesus, right? So just Christ Jesus, and that's what it's all about as we get into Christ alone. We're gonna cover three things today. We're gonna talk about Christ alone for salvation, for communication, and for application. And we're gonna jump right into that first one for salvation. If you remember last week I told you that the that scriptures say in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And that death really is threefold. One, it's physical death, okay? So when God set up the creation, it was perfect. There was no death. And when Adam and Eve took that fruit and sin crashed in, it, it brought death. And so we were not designed to die. Now we all die. You know, it's kind of a one-to-one ratio, born to die. Like all of us die, right? So, so physical death. Then there's also, though, a spiritual death. That is a broken relationship with God. That's what Adam experienced right away broken relationship with God. Listen, your neighbors know about this. Your neighbors, the non-Christian ones, they, usually they believe in God. But he is a distant, out there God. They know there is a broken relationship. That's a spiritual death. And then of course, if you enter eternity in that state, that is eternal death. You're apart from God for eternity. That's hell. Okay, so death is the result of sin. So this broken relationship with God is horrific. How do we fix it? And about 500 years ago, the church had an answer for that. Again, this is what we come to know today as Catholicism. And their answer was this, the treasury of merit. Let me explain this. I showed you last week the idea of purgatory right? Catholic teaching of purgatory. That after you die, as long as you're good enough, at least you're at innocence, right? Then you don't go to hell when you die, but you also, you know, you don't go to heaven. You go to purgatory and you're in agony there, paying off the rest of your debt of sin until you reach perfection and you get to enter into heaven. Okay? So that sounds horrific. And so what they came up with uh, is the sale of indulgences. Remember this from the first week in the series and so basically, you would pay a lump sum of money to the church, and the Pope wanted that money because he wanted to build St. Peter's Basilica. It was costly, right? And But what you would get then is a promise of reduced time in purgatory, or maybe you get out of purgatory altogether. Okay, great. But wait a minute, time out. How is that just? How is that fair? Like, you can't just willy-nilly make stuff go away or make righteousness appear that had to come from somewhere like just because i pay money doesn't mean i'm perfect so where that righteousness come from the answer is the treasury of merit the idea that they had is that there were these super christians uh, this was the Catholic view of saints, these super-Christians that during their earthly life, they had not, not only re- did they reach perfection for themselves, but they had banked so much excess righteousness, they had some to spare, and that went into the treasury of merit, and the Pope is the banker. And so what would happen is as you bought an indulgence, you paid money, and he th- would then transfer to you out of the... Treasury of merit, and you could either do that system or rotten purgatory. Your choice, your choice. Now, about at this point, some of you are saying, um, Time out, Pastor, where's that in Scripture? <laughs> you pesky Protestants, you know, like you cantankerous Christians, you rebellious reformers, like you're always with that question where's this in Scripture? So, I told you last week out of Romans chapter 3. Remember that there is none righteous, no, not one. One of the things I didn't tell you at the time is that, that word where it says there is none righteous, the word none there that gets translated into English, that Greek word, you know what it actually means? It means none. Okay, like, It's just no one. There's none righteous, no, not one. So please tell me, where do these super saints come from with this excess? Ra- There's none righteous, no, not one. Maybe I'll go Old Testament on you. Let's go to Isaiah 64, verse 6, because I really look forward to being incredibly gross this morning. Here's what it says. We have all become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. I'll let you know, the last two words there, polluted garment, that is not a wholly accurate translation. Literally, what it would be translated is, menstrual-used rags. Sorry, that's the Bible for you, okay? Like, don't kill the messenger. That's what it is. So back in the day, you didn't go to, t- to Target and buy your feminine products and throw them away. Women would have rags that they would use and they'd wash out and they'd use them over and over. And what this is referring to here is that even our righteous deeds before God are as a used tampon. Ew. Okay? Now, listen, but check this. I'm not talking about your bad deeds. Those are worse. Your good deeds before God are as used menstrual rags. And of course, again, it says all. This applies to all, which in English, the Hebrew word, again, means all. Like, that's everyone. So, where are these super saints? Though, what's that saying is nobody has sufficient righteousness before God to cover themselves, let alone excess righteousness to spread around and sell out of the treasury of merits. How does that work? Right? Oh, you feel filthy before God? Well, you give me some money and I'll give you some dead saints' use menstrual rags. Thank you. That doesn't help. It doesn't help, right? So what we really need is one who is first actually righteous. So this person has to be perfectly righteous in and of himself so he has no debt of sin of his own to pay. But he also has to be infinitely righteous because if he's going to cover everybody else's debt, he's got to have like righteousness all over the place. Infinitely righteous. The problem is, folks, you understand, the only one who's infinitely righteous is god god himself right but you understand this is a human problem so we need one who is both god and man does that sound familiar i'll come back to that here in a second okay but secondly what we need is one who is willing to take my sin and and the penalty that goes with that sin onto himself because if all i do is get his righteousness i am still dirty right Imagine my life is a beacon of water, and you got a picture right now in your mind is muddy and dirty and cloudy. That's my life. It's reality. And so if I bring along a clean beaker of water and pour it in, I ended up with still dirty water, right? So what I need is one who will first take all my sin and penalty out onto himself before the righteousness comes in. I need one who's willing to take my sin and my penalty. And then third, I need one who is gracious. That's grace alone, right? Because I can't possibly afford to pay for it. And the Catholics were absolutely right about one thing. You have to be perfect to be acceptable to God. In order to be in relationship with God, in order to enter heaven, you must have the very perfection of God himself. And the problem is you're not close. You'll never be close. There's no way you can work it off. You can't pay some money to earn it. You can't get a little wafer at communion to to cover it. You can't do enough penance. You'll never be there unless it's imputed. It's transferred to you by grace. And so what we need is one who is actually righteous, both Perfectly and infinitely, God man. We need one who is willing to take my sin and my penalty and would do it all by grace. Now it sounds really familiar, doesn't it? If not, I should be fired (laughs) because I'm not doing my job, right? I mean, this is why it must be Christ alone. He's the only one that fits the description. And so, fortunately, that's exactly what he did. And we see that in a passage that is so tight and yet so packed. Let's look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, a passage often called the Great Exchange. Here's what it says. For our sake, he made him. Now, let's pause there for a second, because okay? there's, there's some pronouns there. He, if, in context, it's he is God the Father made him, that's Jesus Christ, okay? So for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now the first line there is payment for sin. If you look at that, so he knew no sin. He had no penalty to pay of his own, but he became sin, like not only took it on, but like he became sin in the eyes of God. It was all transferred on him. He took our sin and our whoopings and our penalty. I say whoopings because it reminded me of when Caleb was little. Uh, we used all forms of discipline. We, we used time out. We used corporal discipline. We, we considered capital punishment several times. <laughs> You go to jail for that, so we didn't do it. Um, But but so uh, we we would spank uh, occasionally. I remember one time when Caleb had uh, earned a spanking. I can't remember the specific circumstance because they all blend. But, uh, but he earned it. And, uh, and so I, I said, listen, son, I sat him down. I was going to use it as an opportunity to help him catch the gospel. I said, listen, you know you did it. Yes, dad, I did it. You know you deserve a spanking. Yes, dad. You know I'm not just going to make it go away and look away. That The punishment must be handed out. Yeah, dad, I get that. Okay, here's what's going to happen. Shannon, come in here. I said, I'm going to take your spanking for you. I've never seen Shannon act that strong before. (laughs) That woman found muscles I did not know she had. There was a snap in her wrist. She was possessed. Man, she leaned in. But, uh, But I'll tell you this too. Caleb never cried at a spanking like he did on that day. Because he got it in the moment. That's my punishment. It's going on him. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He took all my punishment onto himself. But that's just the first line. Because that means sin is paid off, but I still don't have righteousness. I'm still deficient in my account. And so what it says is that so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. So, so I have nothing but sin. Jesus has nothing but righteousness. And he comes up to me and says, Want to trade? And all my sin goes on him and all his righteousness goes on me. It's like he peels it off himself and wraps it around me so that when God looks at me, what he sees is the righteousness of God. How much more righteous do you want me to get? I can't, right? So so now, you understand, like when the Pope's trying to sell me righteousness out of some trap, I'm like, I'm good. It's like trying to sell snow to an Eskimo. I'm good. I got enough. Thanks, right? I've got the righteousness of Jesus and that's okay with God. That's okay. Think of a marriage where perhaps there's a guy who's ridiculously wealthy and he falls in love with a peasant woman who's just poor. She's in debt up to her eyeballs. She's drowning in debt. Now, he loves her enough to marry her. So what happens when he marries her? All her debt gets transferred to him, right? But he is so ridiculously wealthy, his wealth swallows up her debt and doesn't even burp, right? Like no problem there. But in the moment that she marries him, she becomes ridiculously wealthy, right? She becomes an heir, a shareholder in his wealth. And we are the bride of Christ, right? And so when we enter into that marriage with Jesus, His ridiculous wealth of righteousness swallows up our sin, doesn't even burp. But in that moment, we become heirs, owners in his righteousness. And of course, we did nothing to earn it. It's just because he loved us. It is all grace. And you see that in Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Look at this. It says, for if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Let's pause there because I I, I want you to catch something so you're not confused throughout this passage. That's talking about Adam. Okay, So in one man, back in the day, he trespassed, he sinned. And because of that sin, death reigns throughout all creation. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now I have, of course, highlighted one because it just keeps repeating. One, one, one. And what that means is alone. Christ alone and in Him we are made righteous. Do we need someone else also? Nope. Just Christ Jesus. In Christ alone, we are made righteous, and that is complete, that is past tense, and that is grace. It is a free gift, and the church didn't like it. And the reason why is they wanted to charge for it, and there's Jesus just giving it all away for free. And so they came up with Christ Plus so that they could charge for it and build St. Peter's Basilica. Well that was five hundred years ago. And so what I've done so far is cover kind of what the issue was back then. But what about today? What is the issue with Christ alone today? Certainly Christ plus, Christ plus other ways. Today it's relativism and postmodernism and pluralism that maybe Jesus is, yeah, he's a way to God, but just one of the ways. There there's probably many ways to God. We understand that today, right? Well, tell me this. Is there somebody else that you know of that is actually righteous, meaning infinitely and perfectly righteous? Someone else who has paid the debt you owe for your sin and someone else who has done it all by grace? I don't know of another God, man, other than Jesus. Nope, just Christ Jesus. But it's uncomfortable to say that in our modern age, isn't it? To say, yeah, we think we're right and others are wrong. But Jesus was quite comfortable saying it. Look with me, if you will, at John chapter 14, verse 6. Very familiar verse to some of you where Jesus said to him, I am the way, not a way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Does that sound like alone to you, Christ alone? Sounds pretty exclusive, actually. Christ alone. And I'll tell you what, if that's not true, then Jesus is a nutter. He's insane. He's a liar and he's a demon. So it's either Christ alone or not Christ at all. He's not one of the ways. There might be many others, but it ain't Jesus or he's the only way. And not only would Jesus be a nutter, but the Father is a fool. Let me explain. Let's imagine I'm walking down a road with my son Caleb, and we see a house on fire, and I know there's a family inside, and so I say, son, I need you to go in and get him out, and I know full well sending him in, my son's not coming out, but the family will. Now, I'm a hero, and my son's really a hero, right? Right? Okay, let me give you one other piece of information. I know before I send him in that he will die, but I know there's plenty of ways for the family to get out. They don't need my son to go in and die for them. But I send him in anyway, and I kill my son quite unnecessarily. Now am I a hero? Not so much. I'm a fool. God killed his son Jesus to save people. You're telling me there's just all kinds of other ways, and he did it for giggles? I don't think so. I don't think so. That would make him a fool. All right, so that is Christ alone for our salvation. But now what I want to do is I want to hinge, and I want to talk about Christ alone for our communication with God. Let me inform you on the Catholic teaching on this, that they would say that uh, even though after coming To Christ and the great exchange and all that, still they would say we are so unholy and God is so holy and he is so mad at us that we can't go to God directly what we need to do to be effective, what we ought to do is work through people that God likes we need somebody else to be a go-between between us and God somebody he likes, you know who he likes? God likes Mary and God likes the saints so we'll work through them And this cropped up as the idea of Mary as an intercessor. Because back at that time, the religious leaders, they were very harsh, distant, unloving men. And so God the Father and God the Son started to get viewed as very harsh, distant, unloving men. And so what happens when Dad is harsh and distant? Who do you go to? Go to mom, right? Because you need somebody who is tender and gentle and understanding. Somebody who gets our predict- predicament. And so, what if we go to Jesus' mother? We'll go to Mary, and she's human, so she understands our human frailties, and she'll be a go between and help us with her harsh son, Jesus. There's so much wrong with that idea. One of the problems is, of course, the incarnation. That in the incarnation, what you have is God and Jesus took on flesh. So he, he's human too. He can empathize with us. He understands our human frailties. It says in Hebrews that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So he gets it. He knows what it's like. A- another problem with it is it assumes that Jesus is mad at us. So the one who loves us so much that who died for us and adopted us into, our, into his family I don't think he's mad at us anymore. And then it also assumes that we can manipulate God through Mary. So, so there's something that I want from God, and it's actually a bad thing. I know it, God knows it, but as long as I go through Mary, God will give it to me. Huh. Or, or, or there's a good thing that I want from God. I know it and God knows it, but he won't give it to me unless I go through Mary. So, I, I, I mean, Jesus died for us and all that, but he doesn't want to really hear from you unless you go through Mary. Isn't that crazy? So so Mary and the saints became viewed as these mediators between God and us. And again, you might be thinking, well, where is that in Scripture? Would you stop it? Stop it with all the Scripture talk. Well, I'll tell you, I I think it's found in Romans chapter 8. See if it's here. Verses 33 to 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, look at this, who indeed is interceding for us. Who's interceding for us? Is it, is it Mary? Nope. Just Christ Jesus. Just Him. Okay, well maybe it's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's a good idea, right? But you know we do sin, right? Well, fortunately, it continues. Look. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The word advocate there operates like a lawyer. One who, when you're on trial in court, you're the accused. He is the advocate, the one who advocates at court for you. And and this is a hypothetical, but you can almost imagine it this way. You know, Satan is called the accuser. He's the accuser of Christians. He's the one who says, you did that, and you know it. You're guilty. and And so he goes to God the Father and says, you know what he did? And so there's Jesus, our lawyer in the courtroom, and he looks at Satan and he goes, you're absolutely right. He did that. He's guilty. And then he turns to the Father and said, I paid for that. You're right. He did that too. I paid for that too. Yep, he did it. Paid for that one too. He is our advocate because he paid for it over and over. Not Mary, not saints, not priests, not Pope. Christ alone paid for all that. And so he is our mediator between us and God. For, For mediator, you can think in terms of a translator. You know what a translator is? Where you speak two languages fluently. Now, I speak English a lot, according to my kids. And then, and then uh, I speak some Spanish, but uh, just enough to get in trouble. Like I'll go to a Mexican restaurant and they figure out that I speak some Spanish and they go off on me. Like just a torrent of Spanish coming my way. And I'm like, despacio, por favor, be slower, please, solamente un poquito espanol. Like So I'm trying to please help me out here. Because I'm not fluent. I can't be a translator. To be a translator, you have to be fluent in both languages. Jesus Christ is fluent in God's speech. He's fluent in human speech. He's both. He's got a foot on both sides, so he is our translator. It is Christ alone. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this. It says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Does that sound like Christ alone to you? Absolutely. There's no one else, not Mary, not saints, not priests, not Pope. Nope, just Christ Jesus. Which means you have direct access to God. You don't have to go through some priest. You go right to God. Now let me give you some cautions that you don't overcompensate here and kind of swing that pendulum through middle and go to another extreme. We still value confession. Confession. Confession is very important. Now, you don't do confession through a priest. You go right to God. And it's not to earn favor with God. You don't do penance, but it's to restore intimacy with God. In my marriage, I occasionally sin against Shannon. Maybe this is hypothetical. No, this is real. Okay, this happens. So uh, I occasionally blow it as a husband. In that moment, I don't lose my marriage. We're still married. She doesn't leave me. We're together. All good, right? I don't need to apologize. All the weather went. <laughs> okay? So I go to my wife, and I confess, and I apologize. Why? I didn't lose my marriage, but I lost my intimacy with my wife. And so when I confess, intimacy is restored. So we go to God. You don't lose your standing before God, but you've lost intimacy with him. Go to him in confession. It's important. And yes, at times, human beings should be involved in the process. So second kind of caution is this. We still value confessing to other people. Because sometimes what I need is a brother in Christ to sit with me and weep with me over my sin, and then to tell me the gospel's still true, and then to be the arms of God to give me a hug. And you see that in James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Do you understand all the one another passages in the scripture? That's just fellow Christians. It's not going to a priest. That's just another brother or sister in Christ. There's value in being known for the worst about you and in that moment, loved, hugged, forgiven. It's valuable. So let me say this. You need a mediator between you and God. Yep, and it's got to be a priest. But if you read through Hebrews, the only priest left is Jesus. He is our priest. So you go directly to God the Father through God the Son, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So there's two things going on when it comes to a priest in the New Testament. Number one is the unique priesthood of Jesus Christ alone. And then secondly, the priesthood of all believers. But what there is not in the scriptures is a third category of some kind of superhuman. Like, there are no superhuman. I mean, I get that there's the Avengers. But, you know, like, other, other than that, like, there's no third category there. It's just God and the rest of us schmucks in the body of Christ. That's it. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So what do you do with me? What do you do with a pastor? Well, you, you love them and honor them and give them lots of bacon and baklava. That's what you, write that down, All right? What do you do with the pastor? Listen, I am not a priest. I am not a mediator. I am not your channel to God. Uh-uh. Jesus is your priest, okay? And, and so uh, I am one who is called to shepherd and lead and teach. That's just the calling on my life. That's the way I serve. But, but you don't go to God through me. You go directly to him. And so sometimes something really bad is going on, and we need prayers. We've got to get Pastor Rick to pray. My prayers aren't magic. My prayers are no different than your prayers. We're just brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So there's nothing special about me. And what we've done there is just cover how does Christ alone impact our communication with God. And then third and last, what I want to talk about is Christ alone for application. I want to look at four things here. And the first one is don't treat Jesus like a mascot. See, it's easy for us to throw stones at the Catholics because they did Christ plus. But we don't, right? <laughs> yeah, we do. We just do it differently. We don't do Marian saints and priests and Pope. What we do is it's, you know, it's Jesus Christ plus patriotism. Jesus Christ plus Americanism. Pretty much any ism with which you identify, you tack on to Jesus and this is what people need to do to be okay, Jesus Christ plus my educational philosophy or my parenting philosophy. Jesus Christ plus my unique moral code, like stuff that isn't clear in the scripture, but I've added on anyway. It's Christ plus. Jesus Christ plus the way we ought to look as Christians and talk as Christians because there there must be a cookie cutter Christian. It's Christ plus. Christ plus prosperity. Christ plus healing. Christ plus being a Republican. Christ plus being a Democrat. Christ plus my unique personal theology about the end times. God bless you people, right? So like it's Christ plus and we roll all these things together into a religion that really doesn't require Jesus Christ anymore. But you know what? We're not gonna get rid of you, Jesus. Here's what we want you to do. Just put on the bear costume and like dance around on the sidelines and do some cartwheels and fire the crowd up for us. You can be our mascot. Don't do that. Quit adding stuff when it is clearly in Christ alone. Second application is this. I I am so hoping that you just fall in love with the gospel. That's why we're doing this series. Because we get to peel back the gospel layer by layer so that you see it more clearly. Listen, the gospel is not your introduction to Christianity. The gospel is Christianity. Like We don't start with the gospel and then move on to other things. We start with the gospel and we go deeper in the gospel. So that Jesus is not like the first point in a three-step plan. He's like all three steps. He's the question, he's the answer, he's the paper, he's the pen, he's the ink. It's all about him and the gospel. It's not about getting more stuff from God. It's about discovering and living out what is already ours in Christ alone. And then third application is this. I hope you guys quit scrambling to cover up. I know you feel guilt. I know you feel shame. I know your temptation, like me, is to, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be better. I'm going to impress God. I'm going to impress other Christians. I'll show them. And I want you to take that shame and I want you to let it go. Romans chapter 8 starts this way. It's some of your favorite passage, I know. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are wrapped in the very righteousness of God. What are you going to add to that? Let it go. And relax into the security of this. That, listen, your standing before God is based on Christ's righteousness. It's such great news because your righteousness, mine, goes up and down all the time, doesn't it? Christ is steady, doesn't change, and it's based on Christ's righteousness. I want you to relax into that, quit scrambling because it is in Christ alone. And then, fourth and last, I want you to worship. I want you to worship because uh, we got to do this certainly with our words when we sing out here, but I mean like every moment of every day, I want my life screaming worship to God in Christ alone. When you understand the gospel and all Jesus has done for you, mind blows, tongues are loose, we sing out and worship, we live out in obedience and love to our God. And we'll do that here in a moment, but first let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? And Let's pray. Father in heaven, we absolutely love you. And I am praying and asking that in this moment we would get the gospel, like really get it, such that our minds are blown, our hearts swell and overflow with worship to you. Not just in this moment, but that we would live it out in obedience and service to you, love for you. That we would quit doing Christ plus and trying to add things to the gospel. That we would qu- quit scrambling, trying to cover up and being okay when it's, God, you said it would never be okay. Except that we're in Christ. And we would know that you love us. We would ra- respond in security and intimacy and just walk with you and enjoy you. Take us there now, Lord, please. And I pray in Christ alone.